0: Hello and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 266. Today is Sunday the 25th of February 2018, and this interview is with Justin Insulaco. Before founding Innovation 4.0 with Will Donovan, Justin Insulaco spent nearly 10 years as a police officer in New Jersey. With Justin's verve and need to provide impact, he created on his own a mobile app to help officers do their job better on their beat. Just like in business, however, there are many challenges in transforming the way things are done. Justin takes us through that journey and then talks about his exciting initiatives at Innovation 4.0, where he's helping people to future-proof their careers. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, mintodial.com. Enjoy the show. So Justin Insalaco, great to have you on my show. We were, we were designing to meet up uh, in face-to-face, but the, the, the mysteries of the world led us and the challenges of the world led us to tire punctures and all to do a Skype, even though we're in the same city, in this beautiful city of New York City. So Justin, you are a man uh, with an incredible background that I certainly have never had anything close to on my show. And I thought it would be fun to talk with you about your past. You have, uh, you're have you a founder of 3B Dreams, and uh, you're going to tell us about that. You're also a co-founder of Innovation 4.0, and a topic which many of my listeners will be familiar with, about Future Proof, which I'm going to, we're going to be talking about. But you also have a, a really interesting 10-year past, working in the police force in New Jersey. So, Justin, in your own words, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and maybe slip in there what you think your mindset is these these days.
1: Okay, great. Thank you very much for having me. Um, so my name is Justin Insilaco. Um In 2009, I was just turning 20 years old. Um, I got hired as a police officer in New Jersey uh, in a town called West Windsor, which is just outside of the capital, um, Trenton. Um, it was a very interesting experience for me. You know, uh, originally, like I said, I, mean, I didn't really necessarily see myself in a law enforcement environment. Um, but I took the test and I got hired, and I decided that you know maybe I can create some impact and it would be an interesting experience. And um, when I got there, you know, it's, it's it was. Uh, tremendous training um it, it, it provided me um a lot of insight into the into the real world things that i weren't familiar with you know sure. my family kind of protected me from a lot of the things that that, that really happened in the world so that was very interesting in the very beginning um and uh, so when i got hired about three years into my to my time as a law enforcement officer, I created a mobile technology that allowed for interoperability between police agencies and also the police and their public and private partners. Um, that was called guidance systems. Um, and subsequent to that, you know, we had some success, um, you know, kind of rolling this out, even though we were in this, this flux of you know, law enforcement agencies really weren't, you know, enrolling in mobile solutions, but we did have some success. So people started to uh, attract to us to kind of help them, grow their own business uh, so business development marketing uh, I have two partners that came from the financial world and the marketing space so we created 3B dreams out of really out of a need um, to, to have an entity that could do something similar to what people were looking for um, and,
0: so I want to just unpack a couple of those areas the first is when you so as a 19 year old you're, you're rolling up for this interview, to what extent were you already in this mindset of wanting to have an impact? I think
1: it's something that, uh, for me at least, something that I've always wanted to do. Um, you know, I, I wanted to just not to sound like a, a, a boy scout, but I, I always wanted to create uh, a positive change. Um, and I felt like in, in a law enforcement environment, I had the ability to do that through my interaction with the community. So um, I was already pretty dead set on creating some type of impact in my, for my life. I want to leave behind a legacy. Um, so I was already pretty set on that.
0: And so when you join the police force, uh, three years into it, you come up with this idea, so this is around 2010, I imagine, of making a, a mobile app for the police force. And as you say... The police force, uh, not exactly mobile friendly, or not, uh, not maybe mobile first, uh, or maybe not even aware of what B O I O D stands for. Uh, but this is something that is is hardly surprising because most businesses, certainly in two thousand and ten, were way behind in understanding what two thousand, you know, being mobile first is all about. So talk us through this this journey that led you to, as a twenty three year old, to, to try to revolutionize the way they operate.
1: Okay. So, I mean, for me, you know, as a, as a, you know, the younger generation I, I've had a phone in my hand for a good portion of my life. Um, you know, it became very, very popular when, you know, we were in, I guess sixth, seventh grade, everybody started to get these phones and, um, it was definitely a different time with things that, you know, the people ahead of me didn't understand because they were just getting phones. Um, but so I, I was, I was about 23 and, um, I, I got dispatched to a sex assault and, you know, Thank goodness it ended up not being an actual sex assault. But when I got there, I realized that all the extensive training I've had, everything that I've done so far in law enforcement, you know, because you get pretty, you get thrown into the wolves pretty early on. So you learn a lot on on the fly. But I never had handled the sex assault case. And I called my sergeant. and He was very, very busy at the time. So he said, I'm going to get there. But at the same time, I thought it was ridiculous that I have a mother and daughter who the mother believes that her daughter was sexually assaulted. And they're inside the house now. And I don't have any resource to, to kind of manipulate how I handle this situation other than leave the house where the mother and daughter were inside, go to the police car and open a binder full of thousands of pages of information on how to handle different calls for service. And I said, there's a couple of things I always have on me. I always have a radio. I always have a gun. I always have a flashlight. and I always have my cell phone. So I said, how do I make this where I can securely access this information via the device that I carry with me everywhere that I go? So no matter where I am, I'm not bound to being back to the car. I have the ability to access this information anywhere. Um, so that was kind of the initial light bulb that said, "How do we, you know, how do we create something that that police can carry with them everywhere, um, and and how do we do that in a cost-effective way? Because as as we all know, um, you know, government entities are limited in their budget. So we, we came up with this bring your own device model um, that would allow cops to access this information anywhere they were.
0: Wow. So yeah, that's that's uh, startling story about how you know faced with this real necessity it it came around it's it's so obvious you know like the necessity is the mother of invention but so you go back and and you i presume you have to sort of talk this through with your sergeant and and how do you end up doing this because your your job is to patrol not to code and create apps so how does that work
1: so, um, I mean, I'll give you the I'll give you the short version of the story. But basically, I have zero development experience. I had zero business experience. What I did know was that this was a frustration in law enforcement, and we needed to fix the problem. So the only thing I knew at the time was Craigslist. I didn't know about LinkedIn. I didn't know I didn't even know if LinkedIn was around then, but I didn't know about it for certain. Um, so I went on Craigslist and I put out an ad looking for a developer, which is like the craziest thing you can do because I mean, who knows who you're going to get at? I mean, who's, who's going to respond?
0: Yeah, some sexual you know. assault. Some sexual more likely to get sexual <laughs> assaulters than code
1: i know right so i so 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 this gentleman responds back um my partners and i you know we do like a, a very quick um you know, one of these at home uh type of you know you could pay whatever 56 bucks and you do a criminal background check so we, we do a little bit of uh, research there and then i actually fly down to myrtle beach and meet him face to face to get an idea for what he was really all about and he shared a lot of the same values as we shared about you know hey you know we know that you don't have a lot of capital to invest in this but i really see the fit here and why this is a why this a uh, big deal? And He was actually a lead developer for Wowza, which is a, you know a huge technology company. Um, so it, it made sense, and he took equity in the company, and and we were off to the races. So he helped us develop it, and we 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 situated in my agency for about probably about six months, and just and worked through what all the parameters were, what we needed from my agency's perspective and use that as the model to develop the, applica- the actual application and then you know, began to roll it out to other police agencies.
0: So when are you doing this? Because I'm sure that it's hard to justify <laughs> doing that on police time.
1: No, so I wasn't doing it on police time. So uh, at the time, I was working 5 p.m. to 5 a.m., um, and then my partner, uh, Jason, he would come and wake me up uh, around eight o'clock on my days off, so we worked an interesting schedule um which was good because it allowed you know it allowed me var- like i had days off in the middle of the week you know the way the police schedule worked it was it was a pretty um, you know it was, it was a good schedule in terms of flexibility, but he would wake me up around i 'd get home at like five thirty and he would wake me up around eight and then we would go all day long uh, to police agencies and talk to police chiefs and and and, and get this thing implemented into agencies
0: but you 're working on this app as a police officer in your off time. So what what agency does that give you as you're going to meet these other agencies? I mean, you're going, you're not going in uniformed, I presume. No. You've got to go in as you, but you have a badge. And and how do you persuade these people who aren't mobile friendly uh, to get the system embedded?
1: Yes, it was interesting, right? I mean, you, you, you obviously, um, which you're very familiar with, you have to you have to create or, or, or create the, the need for this particular value that you're offering. And for the police chiefs, it was very simple. you were right. They, they, they did not understand the need to go mobile, right? Not at the time. Um, now, maybe a little bit more adaptive, but at the time, they did not understand the need to go mobile. But what they did understand was liability. So the way that, that we, we presented, I can sell you this for a very small cost. That, that prevents that that maybe gives you a little bit of insurance against liability in the sense of you're able to say listen I've done everything I possibly could to provide my police officers with the most up-to-date information that they have access to so we've almost sold it as an insurance policy uh, you know a, a relatively cheap one to the police administration and then the play with the actual because then once you get through the sale now you have to get through the adaptation right you have to get the police to download this thing on their phone which is Completely against everything the police unions will ever tell you to do, um, so now we have to get through that hurdle, which was hey, this tool's created for you, use it or don't but you're going to look like an idiot if you don't if you if you make a mistake and you had access to this information so that was kind of the you know that, that was kind of the the run of the mill kind of pitch that we used at, at police agencies I it's
0: mean, a, in a nutshell. it's amazing because you know the parallels in business are you have all these factions that may be called departments. Uh, typically right. in business, but even in your world, you know the police world. You have the the people who are at headquarters, more the administrative people, the the police chiefs who used to do your job, but all of a sudden, kind of <laughs> wear a corporate tie, you know, quote right. unquote. And you are out in the street, and and you're like, why on earth can't I have this? And 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 there the, there are the unions on top of that who are saying, you know, they're they're trying to get you somehow. Uh, it's it's a it might, I mean, really, as a such a young guy in this space, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people sort of were looking at you with a, an enormously raised eyebrow.
1: I agree, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, we were, we were the ugly duckling for a little while, um, you know, on both sides, on the police administration side, um, that would look at us and say, you know, why can't you leave good enough alone? And then from the police union side where, you know, hey, man, you know, you're... You're a cop. You understand what we go through on a daily basis. Why are you trying to get us to download this on our phone? Um, so we really were. I mean, we were in this and you know, we were trying to do something very positive. And in the very beginning, we, we did get that ugly, ugly look like, you know, uh, from both sides, um, which was you know, which was obviously a frustration of ours. But, um, you know, we just stayed persistent with it.
0: All right. So then you've got your the agencies that are more or less within your vicinity around mm-hmm. West Madison. What about other agencies and and you know you, you mentioned in this notion one of the challenges was which is the inoperability between agencies and divisions, including the FBI so how do you now try to roll it out and get further buy-in get access to more data that's going to help you actually have a, a better database in the first place
1: so so in the beginning um, obviously pretty much like any business we, we were going to meetings. With, where they would have us. So any police chief that would listen, we would go. Um, and then as we started to refine our model, we realized that we should really be targeting places that have a need for police departments to be able to be interoperable with uh, private partners. So we started to target uh, agencies that had large uh, shopping malls or large concert venues or or, or, or some type of you know private entity that there was a, a definite need for them to have the ability to exchange information. So the first initial agencies were all local agencies in New Jersey um, that this model didn't apply to, where they were just using it for the for the prime purpose of having access to policies and procedures, school layouts, uh, criminal code, um, you know, the, the general information. But then, but then we got into uh, like we, we did Chicago Ridge, we had Chicago Ridge Mall. Their whole tax base is basically based around this mall. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, need to protect this mall. So we, we went there. We, we worked with the private security there, with the police department, and then also the surrounding agencies. So this is the first time that we kind of proved our model about how this data being able to be exchanged back and forth, uh, you know, really worked and, and was applied.
0: In what you say, there's an expression uh, that my friend Tanya Chernova uses up in Toronto. She says, um, "Money goes where the sorry energy goes where the money flows," and it right. seems that that is a fair. Model within the your local area with the shopping malls, yet you also mentioned schools and and obviously there are concert venues, there are uh, you know sporting outings where lots of people and, and issues of terrorism, but let's say in the in the wake of last week, schools too, are a uh, you know uh, unfortunate target of you know let's call it terrorism by another name or at least terror mass shootings. So how how have you managed to move it out or are, tell us where you are in the process of trying to move it outside to the other groups, you know, let's say Chicago and L.A. or New Orleans and, and Boston? How do you do that?
1: So, I mean, it's, it's obviously, you know, a lot of it is about introduction and a lot of it unfortunately requires, you know, like a lot of times you don't realize the necessity of a tool like this until you're smacked into the face with it. Um, but, you know, our tool, there's a lot of good tools out there for, like, preemptive type of tracking, right, that, that could, you know, that, right. So so we're not really in that particular game, um, and, and I don't want to pretend to be. But what our tool would do a good job of is when you have these active shooter scenarios, when you have these things coming, these terrorism attacks that happen, the, the, the response plans, right, are, are, are miscoordinated in a lot of cases because this thing's happening instantly. And then what's happening is that... Um, you know, you have, you have multiple agencies responding to a place, and not everybody's working on the same uh, game plan. Let's say they don't have the same sheet of music in front of them. So what what we have, what we offer through the application is that as these agencies are responding, you can share that response plan or or that 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 layout or that infrastructure map that would allow all the agencies to participate on the same sheet of music. So that that's where we offer our true value to you know those types of scenarios, um, you know, which are tough to handle. But but that's what we that's what we offer.
0: Well, in, in, in the world that I operate, which is so different, Justin, there, are, there is a, 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 a crossover, which is this ability or openness to share data. So in, in the business world, my country unit doesn't want to share business, even though it's the same company, my data with a business unit that's not my country. It's not invented here. They're, they're competitors, maybe for my career. The other things that impede us wanting to gang up on the enemy, the real enemy. <laughs> so, uh, uh, what what kind of insights might you have as to how to, to, to garner or an, and open up the well, so that the different agencies are prepared to open up their game plan, open up their private, you know, confidential information? Because who are you? Because you, you know, why why should I trust you with it?
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, again, another interesting scenario, and you're 100% right. I mean, the same thing applies, you know, the business case that you described is the same thing that applies to law enforcement. Um, you know, there, there's, there's, this, there's this hesitance in the law enforcement community to share information, you know, amongst individual units or, or departments. Um, and, and that, 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 extent, that extent expands out to, um, you know, national agencies, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that the FBI know that that the local agencies don't know Um, and that's a problem right because the local agencies they're the ones that are on the street every day they're the ones that are responding for calls for service those are the ones that can prevent incidents from happening but they can't do so if they're not armed with that information so what 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 my recommendation always has been is that you know there there needs to be a system in place which could be guided or it doesn't have to be um, that that allows for this seamless information sharing um, you know, and a lot of it, a lot of it can, you know, like you say. I mean, if you if you create solidarity um, you know, amongst law enforcement agencies, you'll create a safer environment. And in, in, in your business case, if you create solidarity amongst the business units, you know, you'll you'll, you'll create a better business. I mean, it's 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 the same principle. Um, but it's 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 a shame that you know. I think we're getting there now. I think we're getting there at least in the law enforcement side.
0: So you know there are so many areas where it's interesting and you know, parallels and 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 uh, bridges that can be crossed because the solidarity thing is something that's well known in the military and in the police force let's call it the brotherhood uh you know the brothers in arms uh, is is for a reason and and so you you go to combat and you 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 share danger you look death in the eye and that is a bond that that is uh, without parallel, in, in, certainly not in business. And yet, there's this thing called the customer. In, in your case, as a cop, it's the civilian. They're, in, in essence, they're the, your payers. Anyway, they pay the taxes who pay your police force and so on. And we have had, in America in particular, in the news, all this this sort of obvious gap of confidence gap of relationship between police and civilians. And so in the worlds that I live in business, you know, we talk about being customer centric, but sure, shit, there is a lack of customer centricity in business. So how did you live that? Because, I mean, obviously you went with impact. You went with impact, presumably not just to change the police force, but to make them better at their job, which is to protect the citizen. And yet there's this gap. And, you know, Black Lives Matter... And, and, and clear infractions of, I would say, civilian rights. Uh, not that I'm here to judge any of them, but you know there have been obvious cases that seem to be breakdowns in what the police is all about. So talk us through how you experienced that. I mean, Justin, you're, you're obviously someone who's very squared up and got solid values. And how did you live through that period where you're being blamed for stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely it's definitely tough, right? Because I, I knew that I, I wanted to do good by our customer, um, you know, and which is a civilian, and I, and I and I can understand situations from the customer's perspective, but there there was there's a lot of times, um, you know, a lack of understanding from both sides because in, in my case, I understand their frustration. But they don't understand mine. So that, you know, a lot of times when you go to these calls for service, you get, you get, um, a tremendous amount of, uh, pushback from, you know, from the civilians because of things that have happened in the past where bad cops have been bad cops. And, you know, this thin blue line, this, this solidarity that you speak about amongst law enforcement, it's definitely existent. Um, but the problem is, is that we do, we do too good of a job defending the bad ones, um, which I think, creates, like, you talk about this lack of trust amongst the community and the police that serve them. Um, and I think that that's the other thing, too. I think when law enforcement agencies start to really understand that they are public servants, that their their, their job is literally to serve the community that pays their salaries, I think that that becomes... that the, the, the relationship can become much better. I think that, you know, you see it on TV everywhere. I mean, these, these law enforcement agencies are becoming uh, completely militarized. Um, they become you know, more of like a, a, a small military organization versus, you know, a, a unit of people that, that are that are there to serve their humans, that are there to serve the humans in that community. Um, I think once, you know, once you're able to, to change the training, to change the dialogue that, that is taught in law enforcement, I think then you'll be able to see a, a, a stronger solidarity between the community and the police. I mean, from my perspective, it was tough because on one side, you know, if you don't defend your brother officer, even when they're wrong, right, you're, you're a whistleblower, you're, you're a problem, you know, you're a rat. Um, but at the same time, you know, if they're doing something wrong, that's going to weaken the link between you and the community. So it's a tough position to be in, especially when you're really, you know, there is very good law enforcement officers, but it's a tough position to be in because you want to create impact to the customer, but you also have to work with the men and women that you work with every day. Um and, and, and that thin blue line is, is truly existent. Um, so it's, it's definitely an interesting dynamic for sure.
0: Well, you you talk about being militarized, um, but it seems to me obvious at one level, considering the the issues of and the dis- availability of semi-automatic weapons in America that caused the shooting that we saw last. That I, I say caused the shooting that that happened last week. And so it, it, at some level, it's um, it's sort of a necessary reaction. At the same time, us human beings, civilians—that's true—we have a, a lesser ability because of the trust issues to maybe be more empathic. And yet, we both know that we that we need you. We, the civilian, need you, the cop. So I want to want to move on to because although I feel that like we could continue talking about this, Justin. Um, because the reason I, I did get in touch with you and Will was this notion of future-proof uh, leadership and innovation. And, and so one of the key ideas behind Innovation 4.0 is this idea of future-proofing your career in the face of all this technology and all this change. So talk us through how your, guy, your guys' vision of future-proofing your career, what goes into future-proofing your career?
1: I think I think for for this this generation now I mean obviously the, the the things coming down the pike in terms of automation is is going to be you know, extremely detrimental I mean to the consumer to the customer is going to be positive but but to the workforce it could be detrimental especially in areas where um you know there there's um you know they've been underutilized uh, you know previously so so what we really focus on is 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 insight and also you know teaching um you know Soft skills um, that that could future-proof the children and, and the, the the next the future generations in these particular in these particularly underutilized communities.
0: All right. So tell us more about what those soft skills are. I mean, break down what you think are the key ones that are going to help, especially in underutilized communities that we were talking before getting on the show about how you your real focus has been on communities where there is values but they're being underexploited they're being undervalued if not disregarded entirely and that's where you want to go in and do your work
1: yeah so we so we use a we use a word called havoc which basically describes what we what we determine to be the characteristics and the characteristics are humility authenticity vision opportunism and compassion um and then you know the skills that we that we look to to teach is to understand frustrations or have the ability to listen. Um, then utilizing those particular abilities to to collaborate, where we teach collaboration, um, you know, meaningful collaboration with other with other like minded or, or, or other individuals in the community to create um to use those frustrations to create inspirations, to create positive impact in the local community, right? So keeping the focus uh, in these unutilized communities on the, on their community, not the world, just what they can do to positively impact that particular community. Because we believe that if we can create that type of collaboration, if we can if we can give them that type of insight, that that'll set the you know the foundation for future proofing their careers.
0: It's brilliant that you say that, Justin. Of course, um, some of you guys on the listening who've read my book. Uh, The first two chapters, well the first two chapters of my book are all about mindset and and meaningfulness is chapter one, collaboration is chapter three, and, and there you are putting both words together. And what I particularly like about your approach, Justin, is that when you're working with these communities, you're you're helping them understand the value that they're sitting on and the and their ability to contribute in a meaningful way will be on their community. Which will have an immediate return for them because it's going to help them and their family and their nephews or whatever around them, and well, on top of that, the other thing which really strikes a chord for me, because you know, don't take this wrong, Justin, <laughs> the the younger generations have this ability or desire, wonderful uh, in intention to change the world, and yet the world is a large place, and time and resources are hugely limited. So the, when when you when you give them that sort of orientation of what kind of information you have the insights you own as a member of a local community to surf and leverage that and make that part of how they're going to grow and and be have a career i find that hugely powerful
1: yeah i agree i think you know i mean that that's the whole point and you know kind of in our previous discussions um you know we we believe that it's not about creating, um, you know, worldwide impact. It's just about, you know, how, how can, what, can you, what can you impact in, in, you know, in your physical and tangible touch? Um, you know, and we think that, you know, just, just giving that, like I said, giving that baseline insight, that baseline skill set um, could really, really help future-proof the careers of, of those particular individuals.
0: The other thing you say, uh, Justin, with you and Will at, at, uh, at Innovation 4.0 is uh, the idea that values create value. And, and uh, of course, that speaks volumes to me as well. And I, 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 I love the way you transport that. The question I have is how do you go about justifying that concept? Because, you know, if you're going to speak to a 55-year-old uh, like me, uh, about these kinds of things, I am looking at you and I'm saying, wait, dude, you know, what I'm looking for is how we going to hit the quarterly numbers? Right. And there, you know, with your idealism and all that, you know, fine. Uh, I've had enough of that. I need tough stuff.
1: Right. It's so, uh, you know, the, the values lead to value um, You know, that, that scenario again. You know, we really are focusing on these underutilized communities, right? So I'm not going to go to somebody of your caliber and, and attempt to pitch to you this this concept of this baseline structure that, that that gives you a foundation because you've already built a foundation, right? I mean, you obviously have, have done tremendous things in your life. So this, you know, our our vision and, and you know, and our goal is the values equal value is to give them a baseline value system, something that they can, that they can hold on to that becomes tangible for them as they collaborate in a community setting to create these business models or these pitches that, that, that create positive impact. They have to form some value system while they're doing this. And our, our goal for them is to set this, this baseline value system that, that shows them that if you, if you, if you uh, focus on, you know, things like, um, like like love or like um, you know honor right, which we talked about. If you focus on those types of things, you, know, you can really create value in your own community. Not you know again focusing on what you can actually impact, what you can touch, what you can feel in your community. Not you know we're not trying to make this a worldwide vision, um, but but that you can create positive value in your community.
0: The reason why this is a relevant topic uh, for fifty five year olds like me and big business is that a lot of companies actually write these values down on the wall, mm-hmm. but none of them lives them. Right. Conversely, when you're talking to an underprivileged kid who might live in the outskirts of a uh, relatively old industry town, let's call mm-hmm. it Flint or whatever, they're looking at you, wait a second, dude, I need to, I need to pay my rent this week. What are you talking mm-hmm. about values for? At some level, it's as dissonant uh, as it gets for the old boss, as you know, who's ri- written them down but doesn't live them, and this one who, who's got other issues, which are just as short term, by the way, and, and then have less uh, headspace and even comprehension of. So, how do you actually get uh, underutilized, well, let's call it underprivileged kids to, to want to buy in on values? <laughs>
1: You know, I, I, I think it's less buy-in than you would than you would think. I mean, we, we you know, only because I always say that because we've we've been out there and we've done it. You know, we ran a we ran a six week program in Flint, Michigan, and, and you know, it's there. They want somebody to ignite that inside of them, right? They have a value system. They believe in the, in values. But you're right; it's very hard in that environment to to honor those value systems because you're really just trying to survive, right? It's the day to day survival. But when, when, when we go there and we ignite this passion in them that's already existed, right, these value systems, um, you know, they, they buy into it because they see what the finished product is. They've never they've never car- they've never used their value system to carry something out from start to finish. When they see it done, they present it. They present it in front of uh, the community members, and, and some of them are, are biz- local business people. Some of them were, you know, we, we, we brought in business people from, from the outside to, to view these things. When they see their finished product, they see what their values have created. Um, you know, they really they, they they stand fast with that. I think, and, and it really, it really kind of, you know, it, it 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 really locks in for them when they see that they they stuck to their values and they created something that was that was you know widely um, accepted by the community. Um, I, I think that's definitely a, a positive for these kids.
0: If I'm listening to this or as I am to you, and I'm working in big business, I have to think that it's exactly the same. It's it's weird. The, the desire to live, to belong, to, to ignite the values that I naturally have within me and, and to live them is innate and, and crosses over, even into people, who are, you know employees in big business, who might be earning large salaries. But they look at their bosses, they look at their corporate annual report and they say, well, we're not doing it. Who's going to help me bring it alive? And so that's where I think you and I, Justin, share a uh, absolutely parallel mindset and, and similar type of ambition, working in different spheres. So ju- it's just been a pleasure to have you on, Justin. I really I'm enjoyed listening to you. So um, how can anyone who's interested in, in following up uh, what you're doing, maybe helping out or, or anything, get in touch with you, Justin? What's the best way to, to follow you, track you down, or read up what you're up to?
1: So, so the, the best way to reach out to us is uh, info at the org, um, which is the foundation that created Innovation 4.0 um, with a partnership with the National Police Athletic League. Um, or they can go to i4.0, 4 um, uh for information on Innovation 4.0. Um, and again, or, you know, I think those, you know, those are the best ways
0: to contact us. All right, Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Good luck with everything at uh, 3D Dreams and, uh, and making your impact come alive.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax. To Joss Sachs's finger paint.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colors, any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of self-secure. Yeah